Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Samuel Timothy. And I'm Taylor Rowe. Today, we dove into marketing technologies. There are thousands and thousands of marketing technologies out there. And so what we did was look at the most common categories or you know tools based on application, if you will, and built what we call as kind of the modern marketers toolbox. So we work with hundreds of, of organizations over the years. We've probably worked with thousands of organizations. And so we've seen trends and changes in what tools people use and prefer. We've seen you know nightmare stories of marketers uh, having tools that they are unable to use because of you know difficult user experiences. And we've also seen some some really great tools. So we broke down each category and, and talked about what we prefer uh, as marketers for our clients uh, and what we also see our clients uh, preferring and trends that we see in the industry. So please give us a like, uh, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, let's jump right in. Hey, Taylor. So I know we talk a lot about marketing strategy, marketing tactics, um, and specific marketing trends. Uh, a lot of information around what the B2B marketers should be thinking about how, how to go to market and how to do a better job in terms of promoting their brand, their product. Uh, but com- common you know, questions that we typically get is around the marketing technology uh, or the tech stack that you need to have as an organization as you are embarking on this marketing journey, right? So there's a whole slew of tools and technology that you would need to have to execute many of the strategies that we talk about on, the, on this show here. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so, oh, sorry, I, I thought you were going to ask me uh, what the... I don't know if we want to start over. I, I can definitely do that. Yeah. That's just a... <laughs> so obviously then the, the question leads to like, well, what are those marketing technology or the tool set that we need to have um, in the marketer's arsenal uh, to execute very effective marketing strategy, right? And then how do you organize those marketing tools? And then also how do you prioritize which ones to invest first? Um, because obviously you can go crazy just buying marketing technology, but at the end of the day, tools are only... a tools, you really need to know how to use it, how to execute campaigns inside of it. So I think our goal on this episode is to really give at least a high level overview of how to organize the MarTech products that you would need to have in your tool set and uh, how to go about thinking when to actually add that tool set into your your marketing tech stack. Sure. So I think one of the most important categories, right? If we look at the the tools kind of by application uh, would be research related tools. Uh, whenever you're you're coming up with a, a strategy, uh, it really helps to be able to reverse engineer, um, you know, what other companies are doing, uh, research on trends uh, in the industry, um, you know, particularly when it comes to uh, search and ad platforms, you, you want to know uh, what's, what's going on, right? What your customers are searching, what what content is resonating with them. Uh, and so one of the first things that we do, obviously, when developing a strategy is, is research. So we'll start there in terms of the, the tools that we use uh, for research. Um, I would say the two primary tools that we use for research around uh, search engines, uh, so both organic and paid, are going to be SEMrush. Uh, some people pronounce it SEMrush. Uh, and then Ahrefs as well. Um, for me, those are the two industry-leading uh, SEO and and paid search related software. There's other ones that are out there. Um, and there's certainly more expensive ones as well. Uh, but in order to really dive into the details uh, and do research quickly, uh, I really love those two tools. So a couple of things that you can do within those tools. Um, we'll start with SEMrush. 
SEMrush actually seems to have a, a wider variety of data that you have access to. So you can look at, um, you know, the keywords that you you rank for today. Look at your current keywords that you rank for. This is much more in-depth uh, information than you're going to get from even like a Google search console directly from Google. Um, so you can look at keywords that you're ranking for today. You can look at your current backlink profile. You can look at trends and history of, um, you know, how your your website is being interpreted by Google. Meaning if you're adding content, you can see the growth in, in keywords, or if you're, if you haven't been adding content and maybe you're on a decline of keyword rankings or traffic visibility, all of that can be, um, analyzed and understood by looking at uh, the organic tools. Uh, you can also do these same things for your competitors. So you can look at, you know, if, if you just simply say, Hey, you know, our number one search term is, uh, you know, in digital marketing agency or inbound marketing agency or whatever that is. Uh, you go to Google, you go to Google, you search that, you look at who are the top couple of results, and you put those competitors right into SEMrush, and you're going to be able to see exactly what keywords they're ranking for, where they're driving the majority of their traffic from uh, organically, what websites they're getting backlinks from, what their authority metrics look like. All of that you can really analyze. Um, one thing that, as I mentioned, that I think SEMrush or SEMrush does better than Ahrefs is uh, on the paid advertising side. So you can get much more in-depth. Um, they'll actually show you display ads, retargeting ads um, that your competitors are using. So there's a lot that you can analyze. You can look at ad spends and budgets. Uh, so I think that's a great place to start, especially if you're just trying to understand what the current demand is in your industry. Um, you can do keyword research, you can look at competitors, you can look at ads, uh, and this should give you a pretty good idea of what that existing demand looks like. Um, Ahrefs is, is really very, very similar on the organic side. Uh, you're gonna get some different uh, you know, answers in terms of data. Uh, so I always, you know, people ask which one's more accurate, which ones do you like? Uh, I think you have to, to look at both, right? I think if, if you have access to multiple data sets, Look at them, compare, contrast, and you know the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But uh, SEMrush is going to give you some keywords and search terms that maybe Ahrefs isn't going to, and and vice versa. So uh, those are my my two go to uh, tools when it comes to looking at search data, um, whether that's paid or organic, and then again with some display and uh, also some uh, some retargeting information. Yeah, and also. Both tools do give you the ability to to scan their scan your website mm -hmm. and also find technical issues that the site might have that prevents the site from um, indexing or ranking uh, for the right terms. Uh, it also helps you to expand your uh, topic ideation. So if you're trying to create content, not only does it help you to research the keywords, but it also gives you recommendation on topics that you need to be writing uh, to make sure that you're incorporating the keywords into the context of your site. So I think from uh, from a research standpoint, of course, it gives you a lot of data, um, like the ones that you mentioned. But after you have the research in terms of execution, it also gives you recommendation on the content that you need to start thinking about creating um, for optimizing and uh, driving traffic. Yeah, all great points. And I agree with that. It's not just the initial research. It's ongoing uh, from an ongoing perspective. Um, you want to track progress. As you mentioned, you want to get keyword topics, content topics. Um, as you make adjustments and improvements to your website, you want to uh, understand how that's impacting your search results. So all of that uh, can be tracked with those two tools. A couple other... Yeah, obviously it's yeah, obviously, SEMrush and Ahrefs is just the ones that we uh, go to the most most of the time. But there's obviously a lot more different tools mm -hmm. 
And like you said, I think it's important that you don't just make all your judgment calls off of one data point because all these data, they, all these platforms uses their own algorithms and um, you know prioritization criteria to decide what is important, what to display, and it all depends on the amount of keywords that they're crawling in Google and and the data sources that they're getting uh, third party data from. All of that affects the, what they display to you. So you want to make sure that you are using multiple data points and data sources and research tool before you kind of make your final final call. Absolutely. Um, along those same lines, there's a couple of other uh, pretty common tools that we see. I think uh, these two tools are um, more uh, more common when you have a little bit more traffic, um, which would be SpyFu and then SimilarWeb. So uh, these tools also give you a little bit lower barrier to entry in terms of like some free tools and things that you can can use and leverage without really signing up for anything. There's obviously paid uh, versions and paid subscriptions, but uh, SpyFu and similar web uh, specifically around traffic analytics, um, typically used for competitor research. So uh, you can compare uh, multiple websites at the same time uh, and basically look at where traffic is coming from. Uh, whereas SEMrush, Ahrefs is mainly around search, right? So you're going to look at Google specific metrics essentially, whereas SpyFu, similar web, uh, if it, if your website or your competitor's website has enough traffic, you can look at traffic from referrals, you know, top referral sources or, um, you know, social media, anything along those lines. So it gives you a little more insight. Uh, again, these are really only beneficial if uh, you have a, a decent volume of traffic. So what we found is, you know, smaller businesses or industries, they don't have a, a ton of traffic. And we're talking even, you know, 5,000, 10,000 visitors a month sometimes is not enough. Um, to really show up on those tools, but if you do have enough traffic, they're they're great tools. So if you're having trouble, you know, figuring out uh, where a competitor might be getting traffic from, how they're getting customers, uh, I would give those two two tools a try. Uh, along those same lines, um, one one thing that I think a lot of marketers don't know is that you can actually see because of the ad. Uh, policies and privacy policies on social media, you can see every social media ad um, that your competitor is running directly on those ad platforms, as opposed to Google, right? Google doesn't give you, you can't go to Google and, and look up all your competitors ads, right? You can do searches and you can see, you can use tools like SEM and Ahrefs and they'll pull feeds and, um, you know, keep tabs and you can get a good idea of what ads are running. But with Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, you can see exactly what ads they're running. You can look at the copy, the creatives, all the different variations. So uh, how you do that is you actually just go to facebook.com slash ads uh, and then slash ads slash library, actually. So if you go to facebook.com slash ads, you'll see, but facebook.com slash ads slash library. Um, and then from there, you actually search the, the company name and you find the Facebook profile. Uh, and then once you get to that Facebook profile, it will show you all of the ads that that particular company is running. Uh, sometimes you actually can get data and stats on uh, demographics and budgets, um, but you absolutely can see if they're running any ads that are active and also some inactive ads as well. So uh, this is not for you to go and copy exactly your competitor's ads, but uh, why not take a look and see what they're doing, what their strategy looks like, what their creatives look like. Um, and if you know that they're spending a lot of money on ads and that it's a successful lead generation or demand generation channel for them, uh, it, it always helps to, to take a look. Uh, LinkedIn is actually a little bit different. You actually go directly to the LinkedIn profile of the company. 
And then you go to the uh, posts and then after posts, uh, there's a section or a tab for just ads. Uh, so it's not actually a separate section. It's directly in that company feed. You can see <clears throat> if they have any paid advertising running, uh, you'll be able to see those different ad variations and creatives. So um, those are great examples. You can also use those uh, same those same pages that I just explained to actually look at the landing pages, right? So if, if they're running lead ads, then you'll see that um, the form pops up natively within the platform. But if they're sending traffic to a landing page, you can actually see which landing page they're sending that traffic to. So there's a lot of data and insight um, that you can gain from just looking directly in those ad platforms themselves. So when you combine those, right, uh, search tools and search uh, research around SEM Shade refs, um, other traffic, referral traffic sources from SpyFu, similar web, uh, and then social media ad platforms, specifically Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, you can pretty much see everything that your competitor is doing outside of, um, you know, word of mouth and email marketing and, and those type of things, right? Obviously, organic social, you can, again, go directly to their platform and see exactly what they're posting. Um, most, obviously, content on their website, their blogs, their podcasts, videos on YouTube. So anything that's public, you can see. And anything that's uh, a little bit more difficult to find, uh, those tool sets should, should help you. Uh, any thoughts on those, Sam? Any other tools that you'd like to add to that list? Yeah, I think because of the privacy concerns and things like that, uh, uh, these ad platforms are starting to display the ads that are being run by these uh, marketers, which is uh, obviously a research tool that you can leverage uh, to at least to see, hey, are they running social ads? Because uh, it's still kind of hard, uh, hard to find uh, social ads in SEM Russian, Ahrefs, and all those platforms because it doesn't have all the data about what all the active running social ads are. So being able to go to the ad platform itself to be able to dig it up, uh, it's, a, it's a great help. And I just thought it would be interesting to, to, to uh, inform our audience. So Alexa rank is a commonly uh, used number that most people know of from a website traffic trend. Uh, and depending on the Alexa rank, you, you would know if the website has a ton of traffic or not. Alexa was acquired by Amazon several years back. And then I just see the message on the Alexa website it says end of service notice. So apparently as of May of 2022, Alexa is no longer a marketing research tool. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's been an outdated metric it, for, for a long time now. Um, and we've, we've had those conversations, right, with, with clients uh, concerned about their Alexa rank. Uh, but from an SEO perspective, it, it's been a pretty outdated metric for, for quite a while. Yeah. But obviously they kind of retire. Amazon doesn't necessarily care about that product line. Sure. So obviously, once you've done the research, right, the next is like your own owned properties, right? There's a lot of things that where you have your prospects data, your customer data, and then obviously your own web property. So the next few tools are, are you know, we organize them based on um, those sort of um, marketing initiatives that you would take ownership of. Sure. So from that standpoint, obviously, I think, Taylor, the first one would be email and marketing automation. So you want to give some overview on some of the email and marketing automation tools that someone should be thinking about as they're expanding their marketing. Sure. Yeah. As marketers, right, um, we can, can only control the the software that we're using on the marketing side. Uh, in an ideal world, your, your marketing automation is tied directly to your CRM um, and there's integrations there so that your data is, you know, passing back and forth and you have full funnel visibility into all the interactions with a particular contact or customer, right? So when you look at it from that perspective, um, there's about a million <laughs> different CRMs that are out there. Uh, and we can't always control what our sales team chooses to use, uh, if they use anything at all. Um, 
I would say, although there's a million of them, if we're talking about, you know, modern B2B companies, there's really only two CRM that we see um, that that successful modern you know sales organizations and marketing organizations are using, which is Salesforce and, and HubSpot. And so that shouldn't come as a surprise to, to anybody. Um, Salesforce has been uh, in the game for a long time. HubSpot is is attempting and trying to become uh, the number one CRM out there and, and kind of surpass Salesforce. Um, and both of those two have their own marketing automation engines and, and systems, right? So. Obviously, if, if Salesforce and HubSpot are the most common CRMs that we see, um, HubSpot and uh, Pardot, which is uh, Salesforce's uh, marketing automation system and, and marketing tool set, are also two of the most common uh, email and marketing automation systems that we see. So HubSpot, Pardot, um, other common ones that we see are, um, you know, our Marketo, um, MailChimp even, I would put that in the category. I mean, there's tons of different marketing automation systems. Again, we're talking about ones that we most recommend. Um, honestly, I, I would look at HubSpot as uh, by far the leader in that category. Um, they've been the leader in marketing automation for quite a while. Um, and I, I don't see that trend changing, uh, especially with the aspect of the, like I mentioned, the deep integration with other tool sets. Um, HubSpot is building everything around HubSpot rather than kind of, you know, patching things together, right? So even Pardot is, a, is an acquisition of another company that they then moved into a Salesforce product. So a lot of these companies have a ton of different products that you can add on, uh, but HubSpot is all in one solution. So in terms of integrations, I think those are the, the most common. And, and honestly, depending on the size of your organization, I, I think it's kind of like a, an all or nothing type thing. Like if, you, if you're not as sophisticated and looking for like something like HubSpot, I don't see a reason that you shouldn't just use something like a MailChimp, right? In terms of the functionality, the ease, the cost. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of legacy organizations that are kind of stuck for whatever reason with, um, you know, a Marketo or a Pardot or something like that. But in terms of user experience, uh, what, when you, when we work with marketers uh, and talk with them directly, what they prefer to use, uh, it's typically, it's typically all around HubSpot, um, Pardot would be a, a second option there when it comes to integrations with Salesforce, if they're a Salesforce organization. Uh, also, you know, cost considerations uh, come into play uh, when you look at you know, buying and putting together different software. Obviously, HubSpot and Salesforce does have integrations, but those are really the two most common that we see. And, and as I mentioned, our, our, our go-to and favorite to work with and from what we've glean from our clients and, and prospects and, you know, the hundreds, if not thousands of marketers that we've uh, worked with that are in there every day in the platforms. Uh, HubSpot is, is certainly a crowd favorite. Yeah. And I think, you know, the bigger enterprise, um, you know, customers, they probably are Microsoft family and they might have Microsoft Dynamics. And then, you know, we've seen nightmares of Click Dimension as a integrated platform of Microsoft Dynamics for marketing automation. A lot, even though they're integrated, there's a lot of disconnect between what Microsoft Dynamic is able to feed to the 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 click dimension. And then, if you're maybe super, uh, you know, advanced marketing department, you might even consider Eloqua. Yeah. But I think for all the clients that probably our audience that are listening to us, HubSpot is by far the user friendly, uh, probably from a pricing standpoint, much more affordable, and continuing to invest into the technology. So the technology is much more advanced. There. Concerned about privacy and GDPR compliance, all of those different things that they're 
forefront of that and then continuing to improve the overall user experience. And then I think one thing to, to really address also the about amount of training and support you get. Most of the other platforms that are even though expensive, you still probably need to buy um, additional support, um, pay extra for that additional support. We hear that oftentimes with uh, Salesforce products a lot. Um, but HubSpot provides, a, you know, an academy full of training resources and then also phone support for almost all their customer base, which at the, at the end of the day, as marketers, we are, you know, we're, you know, in time crunch, need some help in terms of executing a campaign. You want to be able to quickly call somebody and say, hey, I have this problem with this list or I have this problem with this workflow. You know, can you walk me through how to fix that? That's uh, that I think is priceless. Yeah. yeah um, for whatever reason. You know, I think initially, uh, Marketo and Eloqua, you mentioned, um, they they kind of coined themselves as like the enterprise solution early on. And and I think that was true for a, a long time that, um, you know, maybe HubSpot in particular, obviously something like MailChimp, definitely Pardot, uh, weren't really enterprise solutions. And so companies that identified whether they really need an enterprise solution or not, companies that identified as, you know, enterprise, uh, big companies, they just gravitated to those, those platforms, Marketo, Eloqua. And I think, um, it was a pretty easy decision for quite a while. Um, you know, in the easy sell on, on their end, right. If you're working at Marketo or Eloqua, I think that's changing now. I think, um, HubSpot is becoming more and more enterprise, having more and more enterprise features. Um, other platforms, email platforms are, are catching up. Um, uh, but you know, I think email is one component of it. Um, marketing automation obviously takes on a whole new, the meaning when you look at all the different features that the HubSpot is building. So uh, I would give the, the leg up to HubSpot in that category uh, when it comes to marketing automation and uh, even now uh, starting to be CRM as well. I think it's kind of that old saying, right? No one ever got fired for buying IBM. So people just always thought, oh, for enterprise, we need to buy Eloqua or Mercado. Sure. That's the marketing automation for the enterprise. Sure. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, they're they're both been acquired by you know tech giants, and you look at you know a company like Oracle purchasing uh, Eloqua, right? So, uh, you're they're still trying to align with that enterprise, uh, you know, ideology in the enterprise organizations, but things are changing, right? Um, and obviously, with yeah. the way that technology is advancing. Uh, you know, s- smaller companies, right, that aren't necessarily seen as enterprise can can break into that space. So uh, hopefully that kind of helps you understand, you know, where our thoughts are. And these are, again, these are just, the, yes, these are our preferences based on us doing the work, but these are also, this is the feedback we're getting from, again, hundreds of different organizations um, that are that are using these different platforms. So we're seeing this trends across the board uh, in the B2B space. So uh, let's look at CMS as well, uh, Sam. So I guess, do you want to kind of quickly explain a, a CMS versus... Uh, a CMS is a content management system, right? So we're talking about a website uh, here, but uh, what are the options when you're building a website? Um, what is a CMS compared to like a custom site? And then uh, what do you see as the top couple of, of CMS uh, that are being leveraged in the B2B space? Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated because you're not getting enough inbound leads? You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified? Or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, all right? Business go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes. Uh, maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. 
I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms. Talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at OneIMS and especially with this podcast is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right. So thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. I think the CMS is definitely one of the big obstacles that we saw running into with customers, especially let's say if you're a SaaS company who has a web app that is all tied into the website that the marketing team uses to market. And then oftentimes what the biggest obstacle they run into as a marketer, you have to be keep creating content, modifying call to actions, changing copy, publishing blogs, creating landing pages. I mean, you have all these different campaigns that are running. And if you're app team and dev team is always uh, focused on the product development and less about the marketing initiatives. So they're going to always make the marketing request the least of their priorities. So what ends up happening is you can't execute as fast as you want. So oftentimes having a a very user-friendly content management system or a CMO system allows you to be able to execute a campaign really fast. So that's just on the the SaaS and tech company side. And, And we're also seeing on the other side with other other organizations that we work with, whether it be uh, a manufacturing company or some sort of another B2B organization where the IT team controls the website and where the marketing team don't really have full access into the ability, uh, access or ability to make modification to the website. So what ends up happening is the IT team always controls, uh, you know, how fast they might make, you know, make changes or create things or, you know, uh, launch a campaign or whatever those things are. So essentially the marketing teams become handicapped because the website is controlled by somebody else or um, they can't make fast changes. So this is where a content management system is super critical because at the end of the day, time is money. And if you're not able to publish content fast, make changes, do experiments and run those sort of uh, initiatives um, fast, right? You are not able to to see the results and, and, and see the outcome of it. So at the end of the day, there is so many platforms that you can choose from. You know, if you're an enterprise, you might choose an Adobe product line or uh, some of those other enterprise level software, but the the as the beginning marketers, the 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 sophisticated enough and secure enough CMS platform might be WordPress or HubSpot CMS. Uh, those are the two that we would uh, recommend. Uh, it gives you the ability as a to control multiple users, the ability to have uh, different uh, user rights, and also have the security that you need to be able to control the content and also the um, you know the the safety of the website. All of those things are actually. Uh, in, incorporated in it. WordPress obviously comes with a lot of SEO plugins that can be used, uh, you know, such as Yoast, to be able to optimize and uh, see the performance of your website content, uh, and then making sure that you can optimize the content for the right keywords and all of those different things. And HubSpot also has a lot of uh, native uh, optimization features that are built in, integration with Google Search Console, integration with Google Analytics, um, and even integration with uh, Google Ads. Uh, to be able to see what keywords are driving traffic, what pages are getting visits. All of that information is super critical for the marketing team as they're optimizing the site for SEO performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, without getting too into the weeds uh, with you know the, the technical details, um, certainly don't want to put anybody to sleep, but at the same time, I think there's, there's questions around this so I wanted to kind of quickly address. There's really no perfect uh, CMS. So there's no perfect platform when it comes to building your website. For me, it's all about um, 
compromise and kind of understanding the pros and cons of each, right? So it's a constant balance of everything that you just talked about. It's who's who's managing the website, right? How flexible um, is this going to be? How easy is this going to be for our marketing team to make adjustments? Do we have to hire a developer to make changes? Uh, as we know in marketing, we talked about uh, you know this exam uh, this idea of you know speed is is the number one thing that you should look at as marketers because we can be faster to fail, we can be quick to iterate, we can test things, um, and we can improve our processes if we can just focus on speed of of execution and output as marketers. Um, and if if it takes you you know three months, six months, twelve months to get you know go through your IT department, developers, whoever, to make a change, a simple change in your website. Uh, speed is not on your side. So you'll want to look at that. Um, and then you also want to look at, as you mentioned, um, your integrations, um, what other platforms uh, are leveraging and using. So obviously, WordPress, HubSpot, tons of integrations, plugins, those type of things to 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 make sure that we're integrating with the rest of our tech stack, because we certainly want to do that. Um, and then we also have to look at Google, right? So there are, and I have seen some websites and trends that are almost ahead of, of Google, right? And so basically, if you look at it from a development perspective, one of the things you want to make sure is that you have a very fast loading website, right? Um, so again, speed in two different ways is very important. Speed for you to be able to make adjustments, but also speed on you know mobile devices, um, you know how we load in the browser, uh, and so there's a lot of different platforms that basically are very low on code, and then maybe everything basically happens secondarily through JavaScript, right? And so if you look at it from the outside, um, there's not really a lot of code on the website, and so it's a very you know dynamic, flexible framework of a website, very light website. Um, but what we found is that although Google says they're able to, uh, Google's not always able to crawl and index those pages because they basically don't exist until, you know, you go to that page or it doesn't, you know, that content doesn't exist until it's time to load. So that data isn't, you know, hosted anywhere, right? So um, again, without getting too much in the details, you have to kind of look at that balance of user experience on the, the from the end user, search visibility and performance in search engines, ease of use and, and, you know, speed and flexibility on your internal team's time. Um, and then also, you know, integrations with the other tech stack. And so when you take all those into account, that's why we're recommending, you know, WordPress and HubSpot. Uh, There's certainly faster platforms out there. There's certainly faster, you know, websites um, that you could create. Uh, but for most B2B marketers that are looking to drive traffic, they're looking to add content to their website, it's going to um, force you to focus on search engines, on Google, uh, on having actual marketers add content and make changes to the website rather than developers. Uh, and that's why we look at those two platforms, uh, tons of drag and drop features and functionality um, without being too slowed down, right? So it's a good combination uh, or a good compromise, as I mentioned earlier, uh, of all those different factors that you have to kind of balance. Yeah, and our goal here with this podcast is also, right, just give the best tools that you can uh, use and you don't have to, you know, second guess your decision sure. because you're you're not going to go wrong if you choose WordPress or HubSpot right. for sure. All right, so um, let's look at a couple of other tools, maybe some more advanced tools. Um, if you are if you already are familiar with these other tools, uh, maybe you you have a ton of traffic and and now you're looking at 
how do we get into the details of A-B testing and conversion rate optimization and social media, uh, ABM, all those type of things. So let's start with optimization. Uh, a couple of tools that we see, again, there's optimization, I think is a, is a broad category, but we wanted to wanted to give you guys something to, to put these tools in because I think they're all great tools. So first I would look at like heat mapping and tracking tools. Um, a couple of, of top ones that we see are Crazy Egg and, and Hot Jar, uh, as well as Lucky Orange. Um, those give you some some good analytics. Um, Hot Jar, for example, um, we've leveraged a lot in the past, and uh, we still do. Uh, now, a lot of these marketing automation tools are building in some of these these tool sets right into them, so you don't always need to have these additional tools. Um, but uh, if you look at what like a heat mapping tool does, basically records everyone's uh, sessions on your website and what they're doing, uh, where they're interacting. So these are great tools um, if you if you know what you're doing right when it comes to optimization. So what I see a lot is people trying to do A-B testing, for example, or, or heat mapping and tracking, and they don't have enough uh, data, meaning enough traffic, volume of traffic to, to really accurately do that. Uh, and um, we you don't necessarily always have the ability to control all the variables. So for example, if we're doing some heat mapping, we're doing some tracking, uh, and you say, you know, everyone always clicks on this, you know, call to action on this button. So therefore the text on this call to action that says, you know, contact us, that's the best call to action. We need to have that, you know, contact us everywhere else. Or, you know, we're redesigning the website and we look at everyone clicks on the about us page. So we need to make sure we have an about us page on our new website. Uh, it's not that that's not true, but you also have to look at where is, is, is that the only call to action? Is that call to action in the top right you know, corner of the website where everyone clicks no matter what? Is the about us the first tab uh, you know, on, the, on the menu? So people click on that right away. What are the other options that they're not clicking? So you have to use a little bit of common sense. Um, it, it's a great tool. Again, if you don't get carried away with it, um, in terms of heat mapping, I'm talking about hot jar, crazy egg, lucky orange, those type of things. Um, they also provide a lot of other analytics around time on site and bounce rate and all those kind of things I think are important. Um, I wouldn't say they're the end all be all of, of metrics for your site, um, but it's definitely important, especially if you do have a higher volume of, of traffic. Yeah. And I think the the next category would be once you, like you said, right, after you've tracked and um, kind of determined what, what is being clicked on and um, what actually is people, what, what is actually people uh, is attracted to. Then the next question is, how do you experiment with uh, making changes and seeing if that's, um, if anything needs to be updated or improved? Up sure. So again, when you look at some A-B testing, essentially is kind of what we're talking about. Uh, there's lots of different tools. And I think for marketers, there's different meanings of A-B testing. Uh, to truly do A-B testing, again, we need a high volume of traffic. Um, I, I think Optimizely and uh, even Google Optimize are two of the more common ones that, that I've seen. Uh, I think this is probably more common with maybe e like high traffic e-commerce sites. It's going to have a bigger impact. For most of the B2B companies that we work with, um, you know, A-B testing isn't necessarily top top priority. Uh, and you can also, we can do it sometimes without the advanced tools, right? You can look at something for a month, two months, and then you know, change the call to action and just compare the uh, the metrics, you know, over those two times, or we have a gated form versus, you know, ungated, something like that. So there's like theoretical type A-B tests that you can do. And then there's true A-B tests that you can do with software. In terms of software, 
those are the common ones that we see optimizing and Google optimize. Again, in the e-commerce space, there's probably a whole suite of tools that we don't necessarily use um, as we don't work with that many e-commerce companies. Most certainly. Obviously, once you have kind of outgrown some of these things, the next you know next priority becomes like, hey, if you're if you're creating content, you're optimizing your website, you're making changes, you're doing A/B testing. Maybe now you probably are considering the social platforms, you know, social listening and reporting, and then obviously publishing and promoting content, right? So that'll be kind of the next category of product or tool set that we would recommend someone consider. Yeah, as you mentioned, scheduling, publishing, um, getting insights and analytics, uh, social is is has has been huge it's becoming bigger and bigger obviously there's more and more social platforms that are coming out there and um i think if you look at all the the traditional if you could say traditional in the digital space uh channels right there's huge you know saturation in terms of tools right when it comes to we talked about search reports um you know paid ads all those kind of things but organic social uh has huge impact on businesses um i think you know, studies data show that obviously we talked about uh, the the influence that you can have through organic versus paid is, you know, tenfold, right? So uh, there's a couple of tools that we see most commonly used in the organic social space, um, Hootsuite, Sprout Social, um, and then even HubSpot natively has some tools for publishing and analytics. I would say Hootsuite and Sprout Social because they're focused just on uh, social media, right? Whereas HubSpot obviously has a ton of different tools. A uh, little kind of that jack of all trades, uh, you know, saying, but the those social specialized tools like Sprout Social and uh, Hootsuite are are by far the two most common ones that I see. Makes sense. And then obviously you can go crazy with social platforms, um, or you can just stay within the native, app, you know, native social platforms because they actually are making a lot of changes and alterations to how you would publish content mm-hmm. and how you would, um, you know, serve up serve up images or videos or uh, text, right? So I think most of these social publishing platforms are not going to be adapting some of those features that the native uh, social platforms have as fast as you would like. So just keep that in mind as you, you know, research and buy social platforms, uh, because oftentimes, like you said, uh, HubSpot does have some social publishing features and oftentimes people aren't super satisfied because, you know, you can do native video uh, pu- uh, publishing through HubSpot and you have to go to still to LinkedIn or Instagram to be able to do that. So those sort of things, uh, just keep in mind as you're considering a social publishing platform. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, one of the other categories we wanted to talk about was ABM. Um, ABM is, has been a, you know, interesting buzzword over the last few years. Uh, in my opinion, ABM is, is more of a philosophy and a marketing approach than it is a tool. Um, you know, I, I think really all B2B marketing should be ABM uh, to some extent because you're really focused, hyper-focused on your personas, the messaging that's aligned with personas and, and where they're at in the buyer's journey. And then whatever delivery method, uh, both in terms of the uh, delivery channels, whereas, as well as the format of that content that you're delivering to, to me, that is that is ABM. Uh, there are tools out there that that claim to do a better job of delivering that that message, right? So specifically the targeting and delivery channel, um, the common ones that we see demand base, uh, terminus is, is they were, you know, one of the people that kind of are companies that kind of coined that term of, uh, of ABM, right? Terminus, uh, with their idea of, you know, flipping the funnel and kind of focusing it on it that way. Um, and then ad role as well. Um, really, I mean, if you look at it, Google display network is, is the largest ad de- delivery in network that's out there. 
um, with, I think it's like 80% of the, the ad websites, you know, go through uh, Google display network. So, um, those are the most common ones that we see. If you're, if you're looking at industry specific, uh, discovery, you know, networks and display networks, um, there may be some ones that fit your industry a little bit more targeted. Uh, but the, the ones that we see most commonly used by B2B organizations would, what I would, I would say is demand-based terminus and probably followed by, by ad role. Yeah. And I think if you want to do a lookalike audience or custom audience, you have third-party tools um, that can actually get you the audience data. And then you can use Facebook and LinkedIn ad uh, to kind of do the, uh, the, B2, uh, the ABM strategy, essentially, like you described. Sure. Right. You don't necessarily need to have a platform, but obviously these platforms have much more advanced targeting criteria and, and even able to source the audience right within the platform. So you don't have to necessarily go use some third party tools or even your own existing uh, database Mm -hmm. to build that. All right. And and last but not least, we wanted to get into some reporting tools. Um, I think these, these might be the most commonly, you know, uh, you know, sought after tools that are out there uh, because of the way that we, we look at this as marketers, we always want to be able to report to, you know, senior executives, to our CEO, to our boss on, the results and, and what kind of ROI are we getting? We want to look at attribution reports. So we want to be able to prove that uh, the inputs that we, you know, had a, a an actual, um, you know, focus on, you know, resulted in the, the output of new customers, new leads. Uh, so some of the more common reporting tools that, that we see used, um, reporting specific tools uh, would be like, a, a I would say on the, I want to say on the low end, but on the cheaper end, the more affordable and more customizable for the modern, you know, marketer would be like a data box, data box, uh, tons of integrations, very easy to use, drag and drop. We can create tons of different dashboards. Um, they have different levels and tiers and pricing, uh, but I think data box is one of the easier reporting tools. If you want to make some dashboards to, uh, you know, show your clients or show your, your executive team, your leadership team, if we've all, We've all decided and agreed upon what metrics we want to track. We can pull different tools together uh, and be able to track that all within uh, within Databox. So if you have, for example, like we talked about, if you're using HubSpot, but you're also using Salesforce and you're using you know, these th- you know, two, three different tools, um, maybe SEMrush, Google Analytics, and you want to tie some data together in one clean report, Databox is a great tool for that. Um, along those same lines, but maybe for more sophisticated marketers, sophisticated company would be Tableau. Um, more uh, customization capabilities, uh, but requires a little bit higher skill set, right? It's not as easy to use uh, and certainly not as affordable as a data box. Uh, aside from those third-party um, you know, analytics tools, uh, the, the ones really that are most common that we use the most are the ones that are native to the platforms that we're working on. So HubSpot made tons of advancements in their reporting. If you're using HubSpot for the entire ecosystem, you can get a ton of data and build whatever custom report, cross-object report that you want to directly within HubSpot. Uh, obviously, the more you're using HubSpot, the longer you've been using HubSpot, the more data and insight you're going to be able to gain and glean from uh, that full funnel visibility. And then really Google Analytics and Google Search Console um, there's you know Google Data Studios. Google has a whole suite of products around uh, reporting and, and nobody has more data than Google. So uh, I think maybe it's overlooked because there's a lot of free tools um, within Google and uh, people want to see something more, more, you know, 
I guess, advanced than what they're able to see in Google Analytics. But I think the reality is a lot of marketers don't really know how to dive into Google Analytics and how to make sense of the data. So maybe some of these other reporting tools and add-ons that you buy um, look a little bit cleaner and nicer and easier to interpret. Uh, but the data is all available, right? Um, there's no real better way to get that data than from Google. Uh, and so I would, I would, if you're struggling with budgets and you want to look at something that is available to you right now, I would, I would look just directly in in Google Analytics, Google Search Console, uh, to to create some reports. Yeah, and then also with the Google Data Studios, you can bring in uh, the Google Analytics data, Google Search Console data, and the Google Ads data natively and then uh, if you use some third-party apps you can also bring in data from uh, Facebook and uh, LinkedIn or any of the other platforms as well but overall I think you know you don't necessarily have to go crazy sophisticated with your reporting because I think over time you know most people feel like oh we just need this advanced reporting that's what we're lacking but oftentimes most of the native platforms actually provides the data that you need um, it's it's spend most of your energy making the number not, not reporting the number uh, I think you need to focus on activities that actually are going to impact the number. Uh, that's where I think marketers need to spend most of their energy and not go, f- you know, by the next shiny reporting platform. Sure. Okay. Uh, and I think I know the answer to this, but we're going to, we're going to have a little draft here. And so I want you to go down this list. Uh, and if you just had to pick one tool from each category, uh, research, email and marketing automation, CRM, CMS, optimization tool, social media tool, ABM tool, in a reporting tool, uh, how would you build your tech stack as a marketer? For me, um, I'll definitely use SEMrush as my research tool. Uh, I think it's probably by far the least expensive, most comprehensive that you can find from a research standpoint. So I would prefer that. Uh, As far as marketing automation, I think because there's a lot of common features um, and there's a lot of um, comprehensive feature set available inside HubSpot for email, marketing automation, and CRM, uh, and even for the, the the basic social publishing that it provides, and then also the sophisticated reporting it offers, I'll just stick with HubSpot for that foundational MarTech product. Uh, and then as far as optimization, I would probably just... Uh, actually, I, I forgot to mention for CMS as well, HubSpot, because that way everything is inside in one place. So my content management, my CRM, my marketing automation, and my email uh, is within that HubSpot ecosystem. And then as far as optimization, uh, Google Optimize, we've used it for one IMS website and we've seen pretty decent results. Um, it actually gives you the ability to serve up different pages, uh, different calls to actions all natively within your, within your website. So I'll probably stick with Google Optimize for that. Social, I think it's actually a lot better to just publish within the native platform because it actually gives you a lot more feature set in terms of doing that, but I know you, you kind of do lack the ability to schedule for future and some of those things that might not be available. ABM, I would say if I had to choose it, I might choose Terminus, um, but overall, ABM might be much more simpler if you just actually did really good targeting uh, inside the social platforms by having your audience data and having your customer data and then uploading that and then trying to do a good match and then serving a path to those platforms. Uh, that will be where my focus would be. On the reporting side, if you really, really need to have a third-party platform to bring all this information into one place, data boxes would, uh, would be what I would choose. But obviously, certainly Google Analytics and Google Search Console, all of those things that more almost a necessity. It's not even a, an off, option. Sure. So Yeah, I agree with, my, I agree with um, you know, pretty much everything there. And, and I think that when you start to line it up, 
there's a reason that HubSpot becomes so appealing because, um, you know, email marketing, CRM, CMS, uh, social media reporting, you can, you, you can answer at HubSpot for all of those. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and so where it comes down to other areas and other tool sets you would want to add on. And if you were trying to piece this together, and even if you're trying to take a, a budget approach, right. And you say, well, I want to get, you know, Ahrefs or SEM rush, and then I'll get uh, MailChimp and then I'll have uh, Salesforce and then I'll put my website on WordPress and then I'm going to use, um, you know, Hotjar to track uh, within WordPress. We're adding different plugins to WordPress and obviously slowing the site down. Um, and then from a social media perspective, I got to get a social media publishing tool that's outside of HubSpot again. So we'll use a Hootsuite or something like that. We'll get an ABM platform and then we don't have, you know, any of those tools don't have any built in uh, reporting. So now, because we're not using HubSpot, we want to you know buy Databox or something like that or Tableau. So that's where HubSpot becomes more and more appealing. And, and obviously, those are just the main feature sets. And there's a lot of individual features uh, and tools that we have to use uh, and add on to that, right? And now we're talking about document management and tracking. And you know, Zapier would probably come into play, and we'd have to you know build some custom integrations between these di- different tools. So all of that and you still wouldn't have the the full fun of visibility that you're looking for and, and the flexibility to make those adjustments uh, on the website and track changes and track results and, and all those sorts of things. So uh, marketers that, that see a value in an all-in-one platform like HubSpot, something along those lines uh, are ones that have really tried to piece this all together, right? And when you start looking at all the tools that it can replace, uh, the cost doesn't seem that, that daunting. So uh, I agree with those. I, I think my my research would be the only one that's a little bit different. I, I just tend to prefer Ahrefs uh, over SEMrush. But uh, if you ask me next month, that might be a different answer. It tends to change depending on on what I'm doing and uh, you know how I'm feeling. So those are both great, great tools. Yeah, and I think what you described in terms of patching up all these, you do create a Frankenstein and, and you kind of have to deal with a Frankenstein every day if you have that. So... You may not want that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if there's any tools that we missed, um, we certainly are not claiming that this is a, a comprehensive list um, or complete list. Uh, but these are the most common questions, categories, and tools that we see and that we hear. So if there's something you believe we missed, please uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, tools that you that you really like that maybe we didn't talk about or, or areas that you're looking for advice on, please let us know. Uh, send them in and we can maybe create a whole nother podcast around that topic. But love to hear your thoughts if you're using any of these tools or again, if there's any tools that you believe that we missed. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, um, subscribe, uh, share the podcast with a friend or a colleague. And of course, tune in for next week's episode. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, here are five things that you could do to help us. Number one, make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show. Number two, share this with a friend that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers. Head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right. So thanks a lot for joining us this week on the Growth Marketers Podcast, and I will see you next time.